The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice. Welcome back. It's another episode of Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3 with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cowart. We always start the show out letting you know how you can get a hold of these guys if you need their expertise in something that you've ran amok with the law with. So, uh, Bruce, folks need to get you. How can they do so? Yeah, great to be here today. Bruce Hagan, H-A-G-E-N, is the proper spelling. Spelling matters because my website is Hagan. Law.com. And if you spell it the wrong way, you'll end up with some lawyer in Texas, I think, uh, <laughs> who is retired but won't sell his darn domain name despite my asking several times. <laughs> you can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. You can also email me, Bruce, at Hagen-Law.com. Hit me up on Twitter, Peeps Lawyer, at Peeps Lawyer, because I'm the people's lawyer. That's right. Uh, so I am the lawyer for the peeps. That has nothing to do with those uh, puffy little marshmallow treats that we like to yeah. make fun of around Easter. Yeah, I'm no fan of those. My Not wife sure who is. My, well, my, it's the crazy thing is my wife and son like them, but get this, y'all. They like them to get stale, and that's when they actually like to eat them. Not yeah. when they're fresh, which no, they, is so strange. They fight back a little bit when they're stale. I suppose so. Ray Judice, another uh, renowned lawyer on this show. And if folks need to get you, Ray, how can they call you? Good morning. 404-964-4185. That's been my cell number for, I think, 12 years now and uh, keep the phone with me at all times. You get you call that number, you get to speak to me. You might hear my voicemail or send me a text. That gets my attention. I'll get right back to you. My office is now in Roswell. We're in Buckhead for a million years, but uh, we, we moved north. Servicing uh, pretty much every county in metro Atlanta, but I'll take cases outside the city and get in the car and ride. I actually like that a lot. I, I always found that uh, if you go to a small town where nobody knows you and you go in quiet and get the lay of the land and treat the court with respect, you'll get treated with respect, so will your clients. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? It's really amazing. Um, it's interesting. If you treat people right, most of the time, they'll treat you right right back. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Just that, be good that's not to say uh, that you know, you're know in that situation and you might find yourself on the receiving end of some home cooking, which both Ray and I have had to yeah, deal with at nobody, times. Nobody wants to deal with that either. And, that seems and, terrible. And so being on time when you're traveling out of town yeah. becomes critical. Yeah. Um, being prepared is, is critical. And then not thinking you're just going to sit back and let things happen, but rather taking charge. And that's where having a lawyer with with the 30 plus years of experience like Ray has, um, it makes a difference because when Ray and I walk into a courtroom, I don't want to say we walk in like we own the place, but we certainly walk in there with confidence, with confidence because yeah. we've done it so many times and, and we're not afraid to just immediately start talking to the people we need to talk to. There That's you go. right. But when you go to these towns, don't wear your Rolex. And this goes for as a witness or a client. You know, I always say this is a Timex moment, not your Rolex moment. Uh, if there's going to be anybody who's a peacock in the courtroom and attract attention, let it be me. Okay, yeah, that's right. kind of my job, as Bruce right. was referring to. Uh, I always say, people say, how should I dress for court? I always say, as if it's an interview for a job you really want, 
that's not on Madison Avenue or in Los Angeles. Right, a regular per- person. Or, or your next door neighbor invited you to as a guest to their church. There you go. How would you do that? That's, okay? a, great, you know? that's a great one. Yeah, I, like I say, I say um, you saw what Cam Newton was wearing at, his, uh, at the end of the last game. I said, don't wear that. That's right. Anything with that. Go the opposite. That's exactly. But, you know, but, but we have both have a friend, a fantastic lawyer indicator, Dwight Thomas. And Dwight I've known for many years, and I don't think he'll mind saying this. He's Dwight's African-American. He's, what, about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, and Dwight can wear a lime-colored suit with yellow shoes to a murder trial. And pull it and off. And pull it off. Right. It's amazing. Not many people can do that. No, but he can. But there is that guy, but that really doesn't translate to most of us. Yeah. <laughs> right, and it also uh, doesn't necessarily translate to every county in the state of Georgia. You know, and there's right. some things you might wear That's in a right. metro Atlanta courtroom that, you know, you start wearing out in a really rural county. Uh, you know, yeah, go, from go, around go, here, up to, you? go up to Whitfield County in that suit, and uh, you know you may not make it out when the trial's over. <laughs> Easy, I'm from Whitfield County. <laughs> yeah, I, I am aware. Anybody yeah, getting yeah. after you up there? Come but on. You know, one last thing on this topic, not to not to go too far with it, but if you go to a county as a lawyer that you don't know anybody, get there early, as Bruce says. You know, check the lay of the land, make sure you know the judge's name and can pronounce it properly. But also, pretty immediately, once the lawyers start coming in, you'll see who the top dog is. So you'll know. It's like a Michael Jordan walked on the basketball court. Got it. Even if you didn't know who that was, even if you never watched a basketball game, you saw how the other players, how the referees, how everybody interrelated to that person as Mm -hmm. he or she moves. Mm -hmm. You'll know who the top banana is pretty quickly. So go up to that person, give them your business card. Say, hey, man, if you're ever in Atlanta, come on by for lunch or if you need a conference room. And before you know it, they might give you a few magic words. There you go. I love that. It's all about relationships. We've learned in life that that everything's about relationships and good relationships are the most important to keep. There is a – I want to change the subject just briefly because there's a uh, 650-foot-long – car carrier that caught on fire and was abandoned off the coast of the Azores, which is in the Atlantic, uh, the North Atlantic, right before you go into the Straits of Gibraltar into the uh, Mediterranean Sea. This thing is carrying 1,100 Porsches and other high-end cars. I think there's Bentleys on board this thing. There are incredible amounts of money that have been spent to get these cars from Europe to the United States. 22 crew members were on board. They were rescued, thank goodness. What happens to these cars? Obviously, they're not going to be useful. They're all, uh, you know, they're they're on fire and this is not going to be delivered to people, but what happens if you put a deposit down on one of these cars? Well, if we could just briefly take a break to have a brief moment of silence on behalf of all the hedge fund managers and Gosh, professional athletes who have rappers and, and made who, who musicians have who have made deposits <laughs> and unfortunately are going to have to wait uh, another few months for their orders to be filled. Um, you know, there are some hardships in life, and let's just recognize what these folks are dealing with. But essentially, um, what's at work here, Tug, is a very complex battle that will take place among various levels of insurance companies. Okay. Um, it, the shipping industry is one that's, um, it's international. So so, so the regulations are a little bit fuzzy and the insurance is all over the place because you've got many different layers of a company from the level of the the owner of the cargo ship itself, right. the folks who have owned the containers that somebody probably different than the, the ship, the contents of those containers or the, and the cars that are coming over, potentially the, the purchasers on the receiving end. There's so many different la- layers with folks in different countries, different jurisdictional rules, and, and different triggering events for when the insurance applies. And one thing, though, that 
I'm certain is consistent across all levels of insurance, all countries, is that the insurance companies will all go out of their way to try not to pay anything. Right, right. So, so, so this is the sort of thing that um, is bound uh, to lead to a lot of work for a lot of lawyers. Yeah, I mean, the first thing's going to be is finding the source of the fire. Was it sourced because a vehicle was damaged, perhaps, in loading back at okay. the docks? Okay. I mean, you got to run this thing all the way back to the manufacturers. Was there a wiring problem in one of those Bentleys and one of the cars started on fire because it's got an electric battery and that fire well, spread? I think that's actually what it is. All right. Well, I mean, so so that, it could be that simple uh, So or, or complicated. Simple <laughs> right. and complicated. And as Bruce said, I mean, this is a ship in international waters. Uh, there's the old law of the sea called jettison, where the captain of the ship can jettison cargo, throw it overboard, or destroy it in order to save the ship. The crew was taken off. So are these vehicles total losses? Probably will never be able to be sold. Maybe they can be salvaged, parts, something like that. Uh, you know, if you see t- a Bentley that's half blue and half green that's been <laughs> welded together. <laughs> don't buy, <laughs> you that, don't one. buy that car. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but as Bruce said, there's insurance on the boat. There's insurance on the vehicles. There's insurance in the f- uh, the loading department. Uh, they're all going and they're all going to point the fingers at each other. Sure, but what's the protection for somebody who's actually tried to buy one of these cars? Let's say they put down this gigantic deposit that I can't imagine like what protections do they have there's virtually none okay um, wow. and, and and really you know if you get the car and the car is defective there's protection right but if mm-hmm. you haven't gotten the car yet chances are you can back out of the contract get your money oh, back well, there's probably okay. very little else beyond that in terms of you know financial harm you can get your money back you're not going to get interest or anything on it no yeah, sure. and and most of the time these um, agreements where you make a deposit um, are We'll get you a car, but we're not going to promise you when, and we're really not going to promise you that it's going to be the exact specifications that you're looking for. A friend of mine had an interest recently in a car that is high in demand and um, not easy to find, and the dealer told him, so I'll come back a year from now. You know, He put down, I think, $2,000. Come back a year from now. I'll have something. I'll call you, but I can't promise you it's going to be the color you want that's going to have all the features that right, you want. Right. Well, I mean, in a, a close to home, uh, thousands of people have made deposits on the Ford Mustang electric pickup truck, I think is kind of an SUV. And they don't have enough chips to make them. They've shut down the factories. So those folks aren't going to get that car. They may not get this make and model. They might get next year's make and model, which might be more expensive. So there will be some adjustments, as Bruce says. But if you've put down 50000 and waiting for your quarter of a million dollar Lambo, I think you're going to get either your money back or next year you're going to get in a car. Tug, Tug, the bigger problem comes up when something like this occurs that then triggers a bankruptcy event uh, or a default, something with insurance companies that don't go bankrupt, but they go insolvent. If, if you had a bankruptcy event, like let's say all of these Porsches caused you know, the Porsche dealer on Petrie Industrial Boulevard to have to file bankruptcy. So now I've got a deposit in with a company that filed bankruptcy. Oh, wow. Now I've got a different headache because my claim that you owe me my money back and or owe me a car is way down the list of uh, claims within the structure of the bankruptcy laws compared to some of the uh, secured debts and some other things that would be a higher priority. And quickly, Bruce, I'm sure you've had cases. I've had a few personal injury cases where my client was injured 
the driver was insured by a, a small insurance company or an out-of-state insurance company that went bankrupt insolvent. And there is what's called the Georgia insolvency pool, which is generally woefully under, woefully inaccurate, uh, inadequate. Get your uninsured motorist coverage because that then becomes, I believe, an underinsured it, or an uninsured motorist claim. It is. If you have uninsured motorist coverage and an insurance company goes into insolvency, then you use your own coverage and you can get a full recovery. If you have to go with the insolvency pool, which we're dealing with with a company mm-hmm. here in Georgia right now, mm-hmm. um, you're never going to get even close pennies to the full dollar. dollar. It's pennies on a dollar. Real problems, and that's the the things we discuss on this show. How does life happening? in the legal world affect you directly that's the discussions we have when we come back on your day in court with bruce hagan and ray judice we'll talk about the trial versus the murderers of ahmaud aubrey and the federal hate crimes trial and we'll also talk about the supreme court process how are judges selected the supreme court since justice Breyer has retired that has become a topic of conversation in the news and in the media and we'll discuss it next on extra 1063's your day in court The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court on Extra 1063 with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice is resolved. And if you ever miss a show, you can listen to it on the Extra 106.3 app. You can listen to it on any of the podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, or uh, Google Play, the uh, the Google Play podcast platform, or even Amazon's platform, Amazon Podcast. So easy to listen to your day in court here from Extra 106.3. Let's start with what's happening in Glenn County. We talked about it last week, the differences in the federal hate crime trial and then the state murder trial that found the three defendants guilty of murdering Ahmaud Aubrey. Now, what do y'all expect happens? The prosecution was able to find quite a bit of evidence, as we had hinted at in our last show, where the defendants had used 
many racist comments, derogatory racial terms, and really did a fairly thorough job of laying out a case that these three men were all what you would consider to be a racist. That's not the same as proving that their motivation for killing Ahmaud Aubrey was based on that racist, racism, rather, but it is saying that these folks are racist. And, and the evidence that came out from many different witnesses was all consistent with that. The defense put up one witness, basically just to say, you know, I never heard anything like that, and they, they seem to be good men who just thought that they were doing something to protect the neighborhood. So that pre-existing mindset is what motivated the actions. Now, the one thing that seems to be the strongest thing is, would you have done the same thing? Would they have done the same thing if this were a white person acting in the exact same manner? And and that, I think, is going to be the sort of thing that the jury is deliberating back there. Mm-hmm. And I suspect they're going to all conclude that, no, they would not have done the same thing. And, and that's enough to tip the cards to say that this was a hate crime because it was based on the color of this man's skin. Yeah, the feds had a lot of advantages. The fed prosecutors, first of all, they watched the state court trial play out and I'm sure got the transcripts. And somebody was probably monitoring that trial pretty carefully and taking good notes. Secondly, these three idiots left electronic trails of text messages and emails and Facebook posts that if you put together properly, sort of a, a PowerPoint press that shows how easily their mindset could have been and was at the time of a racist nature that that led to the murder. Uh, Another nuts and bolts thing, though, and and it does shock me a little bit, as defense counsel, if I know, and I do know, that this is the challenge to overcome, why would you only call one character witness? Now, I do criminal defense cases all the time, and my clients say, well, can I bring character witnesses? Can I get good character letters? Letters, not really, maybe on a plea bargain. You may want to show them to the judge who may look at them briefly. But in trial, you can call character witnesses, people who are aware of the individual, meaning the defendant's reputation in the community, uh, personal experiences with that person in prior activities. I've seen them at church. I've seen them do good deeds. Uh, They were very helpful when my brother-in-law had a heart attack. They drove me to the hospital, whatever it is, to overcome And in Georgia, you can win a case solely on good character evidence. You can get a jury charge. The judge says, well, if you just think this person is so good based upon the observations of those in the community that they could not have committed this crime or didn't have the intent, and we always come back to intent uh, to commit the crime, then you can factor that in. So the fact that for three defendants, these guys could only call one character witness who would get put on a suit and tie and go to the courthouse and take the oath— I think that's pretty pitiful. Yeah, and I think that telling. speaks volumes. If I'm on a jury, I'm saying, what? They don't got an aunt <laughs> that can say <laughs> she teacher? was a school teacher? A high school coach? Uh, somebody. Something. Somebody. I mean, I hate, to, I hate to say this. You know, Hitler had a dog that loved him. Okay? Yeah, I think the dog's name was Blondie, in fact. It was a, sh- a shepherd. But, I mean, uh, and Eva Brown loved him. I mean, he could have called two character witnesses. Hitler himself. So these three joke jokers... Uh, and I don't know what the defense was thinking. I, I really hate to second guess lawyers in trial. They know the facts of their case. Maybe A, they really couldn't get anybody or B, they were concerned about the state or here the feds cross examining those character yeah. witnesses and going back over that PowerPoint. Well, you didn't know about this text, did you? You didn't know about this Facebook picture with him wrapped in a Confederate flag or 
whatever emblems of, of the Civil War or, or racism, and then the character witnesses fall apart. My, my guess is that the defense lawyers unanimously agree that we want to get our portion of this case over with as quickly as possible and, and just get it to the jury because the more we put on, the worse this is going to get. Well, again, and, what the defense goal partially is to get these guys sentenced to serve their time in federal prison. So I'm not saying they laid down. But and they may be playing steamrolled. the game. They may be playing the game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, now the judge, the federal court judge here, will have to make that decision, it, should the jury return a guilty verdict, about where do these guys do their prison time. Yeah, and, you know, many times the trial of a case is done in a way where, as a defense lawyer, you're thinking, I need to create appeal issues for appeal. Right. And it's unlikely that they're going to really dig too far into appellate issues in this sort of a case here where you've already got your conviction from the state court. And so, uh, as you say, if, if you end up with a conviction here that maybe one of those, you know, please don't throw me in the briar patch, you're getting exactly what you want out of it. So, so yeah, not to say that they tanked the trial, um, but it ultimately may end up um, working out exactly the way they want it when they were looking to enter a plea. Beyond that, I'm not aware of anything having follow the trial that would clearly amount to error on the part of the judge. I mean, this this judge seems to have put on a fair trial, which is, from Ray and our perspective, what you're looking for in it's a judge. You know, somebody for, right? who's yeah. just going to call balls and strikes and do it fairly and, and appropriately and, and stay out of the way. Uh, and this judge seems to, seems to have done a very and, good and, job. And as a rule, federal prosecutors are so well prepared for trial. And again, they had a, they had a roadmap here. The case has already been tried extensively in, in the state court. So they probably didn't overdo anything. I mean, as a lawyer, you can go right up to the edge of the rules of evidence, okay? But that doesn't mean that some appellate court or Supreme Court didn't think that you stood on the edge or you crossed the edge. So here, I doubt the prosecutors did anything. And, of course, I'm not accusing anybody of unethical behavior. But sometimes you got to put in a piece of evidence. Oh, shoot, I don't know. It's let's pretty see, close call. I've got, I've got Jones versus Smith says I can do it. That's case law. That's meritorious if the judge keeps it in then it's in. So be you know? it. Yeah, so be I, it. I've know? had this discussion with some of the younger lawyers in my office, and we're talking about certain evidence, and, you know, I'll tell them, I say, hey, look, it's only a problem if somebody objects, you know, right. and you don't know right. if anybody's going to object to so it, so, it so you can just give it a shot, and if somebody objects, all right, you be prepared to move on to something else. I mean, have an argument as to why it should be admissible. You don't want to look like a fool, um, but if it's so out of bounds, you could just say, judge, we withdraw it and move on. Prosecutors are under a little bit more of, not that you're not under ethical no, concerns, no, but it's a different issue, but it's different issue of, of, of constitutional rights and violation of the defendant's rights for making an, an iffy call. In a personal injury world, a contracts case, as you say, the judge is up there. The judge can send the jury out. The two lawyers can argue why this piece of evidence should or should not come in. The judge can say it's in, it's out. You withdraw the evidence and move on, and the jury comes back out. And, you know, usually that's not a major problem. But in a criminal case, you can easily overstep your bounds as a prosecutor and cause a mistrial. So this may be a better topic for another show because it's one of those things that I know, Tug, you like to get into where it's it's the sort of thing that people don't really think about if they haven't yeah, been through sure. this before. But there's a whole process that we deal with in both civil and criminal cases where we vet the evidence before you ever get in front of a jury and one side or the other says, Judge, they should not be allowed to either use this document or make this argument or ask these sorts of questions, and, and it's dealt with on a process called motion in limine, which is essentially say we're going to limit the evidence that can come in. Um, and so when you've got something that is questionable, or, or I think that the defense has something in, in one of my 
personal injury cases that should not come into evidence. I'll raise this with the judge either months in advance or at least on the morning of trial before a jury is ever there to say, judge, this should not be allowed, and here's the reason why. And we'll argue that, and the judge will decide ahead of time whether certain, certain types of evidence is allowed to come in front of a jury. I think most people are under an assumption that, A, the, whatever they think happened and what they think is the truth that's what the jury's going to hear which is a totally yeah right know, misassumption mischaracterization of how it works um and b that you know the truth comes out in front of a jury and it's like no that's not how it works the evidence comes and the jury decides what they consider to be the truth there are very few perry mason moments in jury trials anymore especially in the civil world where there are depositions uh, document exchange you have to list all of your witnesses and items of evidence prior to trial in the pretrial order. In the criminal defense world, yeah, every once in a while we can call a witness that the state doesn't know about, a character witness that the state's not prepared for. Uh, sometimes an officer has a rec- remember something that he or she didn't put in the report. I'm always astounded when that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always right. amazing. Oh, now that I remember, he said he had 12 beers. Oh, okay, well, it's right. not in the report. Yeah, right. Didn't they train you? It's not on the video either. <laughs> yeah, he said it when we were getting out of the car back at the jail. I'm like, oh, come on, man. But right. we file motions in limine again so that people can't just bring things in at the end. Or it's something that is hearsay. We could spend a whole uh, two two shows on hearsay and still not understand it ourselves. Uh, and but but in the civil world, there's very few surprises. Trials are pretty much scripted, and that's why the judge gives a jury a charge, an instruction at the end of the trial says, "The only evidence you're to judge this case on is what you heard from the witness stands." Now, now one of the really good lawyers in Metro Atlanta, he'll he'll have 15 boxes empty of of behind him at his at the counsel table. And say, I could have used all these boxes of evidence, but I've narrowed it down for you, for your attention, your short attention, for your short attention span that we don't want to talk about to only the most important and most relevant documents, you know, or witnesses. I've done that when when the defense lawyers come in and they've got their boxes behind them (laughs) and, and it's like. Look at all those papers they have behind them. We gave them all that. That right. came from us. I guarantee you, if there was something in there that reflected poorly on my client, they would have blown it up on the big screen and you would have <laughs> seen in front of them, and there's nothing. Or they're yeah. hiding something. They're, they're hiding something. Goodness gracious. Aren't they let you take those boxes in the back and go through them? That's, that, that sounds more like Perry Mason than anything, just the showmanship of, of, of a TV show. There's, there's a lot of showmanship at times, and, and there's uh, a lot of drama in, at times, and, and certainly there's theater. In, in terms of the way things are presented. What Ray meant, I think, by the Perry Mason moment is that aha yeah, witness sure. that no, comes I out at the last minute that, that nobody yeah. knew about, and yeah. like, here comes the guy walking in saying, I did it, you yeah, know, right? It, it just doesn't <laughs> happen like that. It doesn't that. happen. Yeah, I was just thinking the show business aspect, that's the that's the true connection to Perry but Mason. But it's usually done pretty subtle. Yeah. It's more yeah. subtle than a witness all of a sudden have an epiphany on the witness stand and say, well, now that you just mentioned it, you are yeah. right. I yeah. did kill that guy. Yeah, what, what was that? Why did I ever enter a not guilty plea? The issue with the judge and the judge getting getting it right, you know, really ties into, I think, what else you want to talk about. Yeah, it was, it was transitioning from going from a federal judge, like someone who is judging the Ahmaud Aubrey case in the uh, the trial against the McMichaels and William Roddy Bryant down in Glen County. How do you go from that point to being a Supreme Court justice, which is what's happening? President Biden will have a nominee to uh, put up uh, and uh, to be uh, elected to the Supreme Court at some point because of the retirement of Judge Breyer. 
How does that how does that happen? How do you get selected? How do you even be considered, Ray? So the process has changed uh, even in our lifetime. Uh, used to be when there was a vacancy in the Supreme Court by retirement or death. Basically, three or four of the leading senators, the Senate Majority Leader and the Senate Minority Leader and one or two other powerful senators would go over to Lyndon Johnson's office for brandy, and they'd have a short list, and the president would have a list, and they'd sort of find out who who was going to be acceptable, who could get at least the 60 votes required. Is it 50 or 60, Bruce? I think it's 50 now, yeah, right? 50. It was 60 for many years, and then... One of the uh, Democratic majority Senate leaders from Nevada, Harry Reid, had it changed, didn't he? And now, well, now they right. ruse, <laughs> now they rue the day, right? So they're looking for a consensus uh, most of the time, but it's become so politicized uh, ever since I think the Bork nomination, uh, who was an eminently qualified jurist, regardless. Bruce, you and I may disagree on his politics, but the man was brilliant. Uh, whether or not he would have made a great Supreme Court justice or not, you never know until they hit. Hit the chair up you there. Cer- you certainly don't know, and you, you don't always get what you thought you were getting. That's right. You know, uh, President Kennedy nominated uh, Justice White, Wizard White, who played basketball, I think, at UCLA, who turned out to be a very conservative Democratic nomination. Right. And and um, was it uh, Berger that, that Warren was the Berger Nixon would, appointee? That's right. Um, they said it was his biggest regret. It wasn't Watergate. <laughs> who was supposed to be tough on crime. I think right. he was a former... Uh, district attorney or uh, attorney general in the state of California it was all law enforcement. And then the Burger Court was extremely liberal, especially in the protections that it granted Miranda. We could go down the list of all the cases that right. came out under the Burger Court. And, and it's a dangerous label, on, uh, particularly on this station, to, to say liberal yes. versus conservative because it's not what people think when That's they right. think of liberal. Liberal, liberal politics uh, doesn't doesn't mean socialist. Uh, you know, it's it's just a different way of looking at the law, uh, different different uh, judicial philosophy. And so, um, you know, we also I think as a as human beings we have this fallacy and flaw of, of that the things that happened most recently always seem to be the most prominent in our memory. You know, who's the best basketball players of all time? You know, yeah. have, have anybody go back more than? 20 yeah, years and right. they just can't really do it. Um, and so we look at the the most recent uh, examples of Supreme Court selection as like our system is completely screwed up and this is the worst thing that's ever happened and has never been more poorly handled or more politicized than it is right now. That could be true. Um, but it, we don't know what it was 100 years ago and how, how this was all done. We'd like to think it, well, was it certainly also, wasn't done in the public and it wasn't on CNN or any of the other channels, or on the front page of the New York Times, but but, but the smear campaigns were oh yeah there I'm sure well and, you know I think a lot of people also don't know that there there's always kind of been at least since uh, really since uh, President Roosevelt tried to pack the court back in the late 30s when there were nine Supreme Court justices who would not approve any of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's socialistic WPA programs. The New Deal. The New Deal. He tried to expand the court to 15 members. And it was, it's not the first time it's a Democratic president has brought up packing the court, so it seems to come up every generation. Uh, but here we've got President Biden now has an opportunity to put somebody on the bench in his campaign. He was very clear about it, said that he would nominate an uh, extremely confident and qualified African-American jurist, a female, and I think he's going to do it. It looks like there are at least, but there's many candidates. Let me just be clear, okay? we Bruce and I go to court in Metro Atlanta every day and have for many years, and we're in front of every kind of shape, sex, age, race, color, judge, more and more 
as we go on, does the bench reflect our society and community? Yes, it does. Uh, I remember the first female judge in DeKalb County, I want to say was, was Judge Ann Workman in 1984, which seems like yesterday to some people and seems like a long time ago to others, and that's changed dramatically. So I think the president will nominate an extremely qualified African-American woman. There are three whose names are being presented regularly, but that doesn't mean he's bound to that list. Yeah, and I know that uh, there. Look, these days people want to be mad about something, and so people mm-hmm. are mad about that. You know, why are you already deciding who you're picking, and you know, excluding men, excluding folks uh, who are not black? You know, why 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 are you already predetermining this? It's like, look, this is just the way it is, and it's okay to do it that way as long as you're picking somebody who is, in all other respects, capable of doing this job well. You know, I mean, we've had litmus tests that were. Um, in place even most recently as far as, you know, how are we going to rule on Roe versus Wade, for example? Um, If you are not ruling, if you're not going to decide a challenge on that uh, case the way we want it, then we're not even going to consider you for the position. So this is less policy-oriented or asking you to prejudge a particular case than it is like we want the court, Biden's position, I think, is we want the makeup of the court demographically to reflect the makeup of America demographically and having a black female judge on there is a step in that direction. Um, There's a broad spectrum. You can't just assume that based on somebody's skin color and gender that they're going to have identical positions on the same issues. Suppose they named Candace Owens as a uh, selection for the Supreme Court justice. I guarantee her her opinions on all of these issues, if she has a judicial philosophy, are not going to be the same as somebody else that Biden is looking at. So you know, you can't just assume how they're going to rule on anything based on skin color and gender. They're supposed to rule on the facts of the case that come before them, that have been litigated through the federal courts, the appellate courts, up to them. Um, and then the other thing is that, that there's other kinds of diversity. Right now, I believe um, there are six Catholics on the bench. Is that right, Bruce? It's either five or six. That's, that sounds shocking to some people. And it was more before uh, who passed away, the old man. <laughs> Come on. Right, but, but, but it's not that shocking when you think that, you know, what has been a very important issue for folks on the right for That's the right. longest time is, right. is their opinion on abortion. Right. And so, you know, which, which of our um, various flavors of Christianity is going to be the this most stringent on abortion? Every justice let's, on let's the bench happen. is a graduate of an Ivy League law school. Well, there's 265 law schools. Uh, about 247 of them aren't Ivy League. So now we're, that's another mindset. I mean, how many Yale grads do we want on the bench as opposed to someone who went to the State University Law School of the state of Utah, which would be a totally different perspective educationally. And I think one of the candidates that Biden is considering right now is a graduate from University of South Carolina. That's right. Which would be even fantastic to have have a, a Southern black judge. And a trial lawyer who went to state law school, a state law school, I believe the University of South Carolina, to me as a trial lawyer, I think that would be refreshing to have to have a extremely qualified jurist who's actually maybe picked a jury and there. And I was, it was Galila who I was trying to say passed okay. away. It was a Catholic, of course. And uh, I think that would be fantastic. And she she is being very strongly supported in an odd uh, by both senators from the state of, of South Carolina, Senator Scott, who's an African-American Graham. and Senator yeah, Graham, are Repu- both Republicans, as well as the uh, minority leader of the House. So she has a lot of support. And I think some of the int- this is now this is just Judice is off the record. 
I think the intellectual Ivy League folks are, are a little getting a little furious that she's so strong and her and, and a powerful a candidate because it really breaks the mold in many ways. The South. Uh, this, the, yeah. the trial lawyer background, the non-Ivy League background. And, and real quick, I, I know that, yes, you, you're exactly right about the, um, the fact that all these justices are Ivy League educated, but for years it was impossible even to get a clerkship for, you know, in the court unless you were Ivy League educated as a lawyer. So the, the, the justices rely on their staff, which are like the brightest of the brightest law students, to come in and help them reach the decisions that they make. And those were all Ivy League uh, students too until really the last 10 or 15 years when they've started looking a little bit further. I, I believe Miss Childs, did she not clerk for Justice Thomas? I believe that's you possible. might be right. And I, I know a, a lawyer here in Atlanta who's about my age who was the first uh, graduate from the University of Georgia to, to do a clerkship for a Supreme Court, a Supreme Court justice. Wow. Yeah. That's right. pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. Impressive. Right. Such a great conversation. Well, it's going to be fascinating. And, it I, is. and, and I, I, I hope that the hearings are fair, uh, that discuss the merits of each candidate. Let's stick to that and get a good, good Supreme Court justice up there because a lot of important cases are coming up. That is a, uh, a, a an absolute man. You you want it to be fair. You want people to be treated on the merit. And then I'm like you. I hope and keep my fingers crossed and pray that that will be the case because that's what's better for America. For well, it would, sure. be, it would be nice to have you know 90 or 100 senators nominate a really good candidate, get that person approved, get her sworn in. And like I said, we've got so many big Supreme Court cases coming up that we need nine. We need nine justices who somewhat reflect our country. When we come back, we've talked about insurance a little bit in the very first segment about the boat that was on fire carrying all the high-end cars. When we come back, if you're in a big pileup, say 100 cars, like the one that happened in Fargo, North Dakota recently, how does that all work out? How does that play out? What are you responsible for? What was the the person that uh, hit you is responsible for? There's just so many questions that I have, and I bet you do too, because look, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. Traffic is a major (laughs) issue. And it could happen. You never know. It could happen to you, and we'll discuss it next on Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best.
This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back. Final segment of your day in court with renowned lawyers, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I'll give you their information and how you can get in touch with them. If you need expert legal advice, they will be delighted to lend a hand. And if they don't work in the field, like neither one of them are divorce attorneys, but they know divorce attorneys and will put you in touch with a solid candidate to handle your case for you. We'll talk about that in a minute. If I can just correct you, yeah. I have been a divorce lawyer. Well, right. divorces, and and right. that's that's why I don't do it anymore. Because <laughs> exactly. I, I did it a few times and it's the worst. Early on in your career though, right? <laughs> yeah. At a a time when whatever it was that you needed, that was my specialty. That's exactly And I've been divorced, and I'm going to tell you, (laughs) it was marvelous. Okay, all right. People ask me all the time, did you have a bad divorce? I said, I had a great divorce. It was a marriage that stunk. Oh, okay, all right. If you need help in any category, I won't put them in any sort of box, any category, then they can help you out. But uh, what happens if you're on I-75 and you're in a multi-car pileup, and I'll use the example that happened on I-84 close to the Idaho border, and it was a weather-related 100-car pileup. And as we were discussing this pre-show, what happens if your car number 76? Like, what are your responsibilities and what are uh, people responsible for on the other end that hit you? Yeah, my recommendation is not to be car number 76. Right, okay, uh, that's fair. Or the occupant of that car. Every single car crash case comes down to some basic things, right? You have to establish that there's negligence somewhere. So that's where it starts. What was somebody's duty to you, such as a duty not to follow you too closely and were they negligent in that they breached that duty by following too closely so that's the negligent act then you have to establish did that negligent act cause you to sustain some injuries were there any other intervening acts of negligence that got in the link of causation between the negligence and your injury and here with a 100 car pileup and your car number 76 there are potentially 75 other negligent acts that might have led to this happening um and how are you going to establish that it was the negligence of let's be realistic the one tractor trailer that you'd like to hold accountable because they have deep pockets. How are you going to establish that it was their negligence as opposed to all these other drivers that is what caused you to suffer your herniated disc? I'll even make it a little bit more challenging. The herniated disc that you had been diagnosed five years ago and had been going to see a chiropractor for the last (laughs) last five years, but now suddenly is causing you some radiating pain down to you. And you're a horseback rider, parachute jumper. So so these cases are very complicated. So let's, let's break two major categories. One is the weather condition, whether it's ice, fog, fire, firestorm from the wilderness, you know, city boy that I am. Uh, Those are acts of God under the law. Mm -hmm. And probably vehicle number one that ran into the fog, if they were doing the speed limit and started the chain reaction, reaction, has got no liability. However, what if vehicle 100 is going 100 miles an hour and the fog lights are on or the smoke? ahead and when you get down to some parts of Georgia when they're burning you ever see those smoke electronic yeah, smoke cars well that person was put on notice it's foreseeable that there's a danger up ahead and they didn't slow down so maybe there's liability there we always like that yes to be the tractor trailer and when Bruce says deep pockets he means lots of insurance is what he's trying to say <laughs> in English so then there's the other cases what if there's road construction and there's negligent construction these things do happen I mean we, we live in Atlanta I mean there's construction Non-stop. everywhere every time every place and if you've tried to get on 285 off of 400 either north or southbound you say to yourself who is the drunk engineer who put this together (laughs) they're trying to kill us yes and i i have several cases like that um that are extremely difficult cases because 
there's so many different complicated issues, including immunity issues when you're taking on the state uh, or the DOT. Um, if there's a contractor involved or a, a engineering firm involved, the professional negligence cases are much different than just the car crash type of cases. Um, but here again, you've got somebody who's been killed, let's say, um, and it's at one of these funky um, construction yeah. sites where, where right. you just say, hey, look, what they did there doesn't conform to the safest standards or, or I guess industry standards of how you do road construction to make it safe for the people who are using the road. And therefore, we're going to look not just to the car that hit them, but to these folks here, because had they done their job right, this never would have happened. It's a much different case, it's a much harder case, but it's very real. And it's just that to pursue a case like that, the damages have to be catastrophic. I, I can't take a case like that for somebody who went to the chiropractor for six weeks, got adjusted twice a week, and now feels great. You know, I can't do that. It's the ones that are paralyzed, killed, or worse, you know, and, and, and there's all levels of tragedy that Ray and I deal with on a daily basis in comforting the families that become our clients. Um, and, and unfortunately, to take on a case that's that massive, it requires that kind of a massive Well, here comes the experts. Outcome. It becomes a battle of the experts. We have to go out and get our accident reconstruction team. We have to go get our traffic engineer team to fight either the DOT or the major national construction company that's going to fight you tooth and nail because they've probably got other jobs going on that they want to keep working on. Uh, and so it's very, they're very complicated case, the pileups. Uh, I think the rules that we've talked about in some other shows, if you're involved in one of these, get pictures of your car, get pictures of the car in front of you and car in back of you. Try to see if there's any witnesses, get their name, get their phone number, call 911, report the accident. You could call us, we attorneys later, but I, I will tell you now that insurance defense firms are getting pretty smart about getting people's phone records. And what, you know, what they find is that the first person you called was your PI lawyer or the 1-800 lawyer number. And the second person you called was the chiropractor's office, not to pick on them. And then you called 911, you know, to report the yeah. accident. Well, right. it sort of looks like you were, you know, you had, what do they call that? Uh, uh, you know, you're looking forward you're, to making a case. Right. Even though not surprisingly, um, some of the more successful defense lawyers uh, all over the country will advertise to the um, be, trucking yeah, industry. Be the first person that calls me. We have a 24-7 response team and we'll be out at oh, the yeah, scene right. of your truck crash before the police get there. Um, you know, and, and they promise their industry clients that we'll be out there, we'll be gathering evidence, we'll be controlling statements right on the scene. And if they get one of their firm's lawyers out there, a lot of that becomes a protected attorney-client privilege. That's who it is. Yeah, so, they're so, smart guys. You know, you have to be armed with... with the knowledge. expectation that you're up against it when you get in a crash like that. If you're ever in a crash or ever need legal advice and you should reach out to either Bruce Hager or Ray Judice, and this is how you get a hold of them. Bruce? It's easy to reach me. 404-522-7553 is our number 24-7. You can email me, Bruce, at Hagen-Law.com. At Peeps Lawyer on Twitter, if you have an idea for a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future show, just hit us up on Twitter and send us your, your idea. Uh, we'll give you a shout out on the air and uh, we'll, we'll talk about your topic as long as it is rated PG or PG-13. <laughs> yeah, not how to handle your case. Yeah, we get right. that all the time. <laughs> uh, Ray Judice, G-I-U, D is in David, I-C-E. Go ahead and Google that name. Uh, there's a Ray Judice in Maryland who owns a car dealership. There's one in Italy who, who's apparently a professor in one of the Italian universities. 
universities and writes very complicated neuroscience books and stuff. Uh, but I've got a lot of videotape. I've done a lot of TV shows, Nancy Gray Show, Court TV, CBS 46. And really, not only do I think I, I do fabulous there, but it'll give you, give you a little bit of a taste of how I would present your case to a judge and a jury and instead of an audience. Uh, you know, I like to bring energy to the case. I like to, as Bruce pointed out before, passion. We like to be prepared. Um, and I like people to take a look at that. See if you want to hire me. There you go. And if you have a case that doesn't fall, <clears throat> pardon me, if you have a case that doesn't fall in PI or defense, like I said, these guys can direct you to someone who can help you with your case. Reach out to either Bruce or Ray, or both for that matter. This is your day in court. And if you ever miss an episode, you can always listen to it in podcast form Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Amazon Podcast, as well as the Extra 106.3 app. Fellas, make it a great day. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.